whole bunch of time when I have to bullshit the hell out of you. Oh, temper, temper. Ah, oh, it's just it's just another day in paradise here, right? Yes. I'm back here with uh, my friend Laura from MD Roads, the MD Roads universe. Yes. Howdy. And we're going to pick up, I guess, where we left off last time, talking about uh, the 40 days in winter, which was my uh, six weeks off in January and February 2023, and all the traveling I did and all the stuff that I saw along the way. So that's why we're calling this series 40 Days. Ooh, 40 Days in the Wilderness. It basically ended up being exactly 40 days on the road. You know, wow. That whole period, yeah. It was exactly 40. If you include a couple of the days where I was staying the night in Delaware and Maryland. Um, yes! Yeah. It ended up being 40. That's awesome. Yeah, so we talked... You have to, you have in, to tell us about your mind-bending spiritual revelations you had at the end of your 40 days in the wilderness. Well, we might get to that. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, just a quick thing, right? That's, you know, season of Lent in Christianity is, you know, like, to resemble Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. And that's why people give up things for Lent. And so, yeah. So, you got to do your own cool 40-day journey. Yeah, clearly I didn't give anything up for those 40 days. I only took stuff on. <laughs> Although you gave up the comfort of your bed, so I suppose that counts or something. Uh, I, yeah, I guess if you want to count that, yeah, you could, you could say that. <laughs> um, yeah, so in part one we were talking about the stuff that we that I covered in January, and we're going to try to get through all the February stuff uh, this time around, because the first two-week trip that I took lasted until February 3rd, I think. And this next trip that we are going to talk about uh, began on February 7th and ended on the 26th. So it ended up being 20 days. There were just about three weeks. Uh, and that constituted the second half of the six-week uh, period. Um, before we get into that, and there's a lot to talk about there, I want to kind of go back to something that uh, was going on on the first trip, which was the late January trip. Um, people ask me sometimes, you know, what I listen to when I'm on road trips, and a lot of times it's just local radio or, you know, if there's podcasts that I'm interested in listening to, I'll tune into those. Um, you know, it's usually stuff like that. It's nothing too uh, extravagant. But um, I want to finish a story that I started a couple of podcast episodes ago about uh, relating to um, road trips that I go on and music I listen to. Um, I mentioned in that show that uh, one of the things that I like, one of, one of the bands that I really enjoy listening to on road trips are the Beatles. Beatles. And so I, I had kind of given you a little bit of a rundown of the album Let It Be and all that, all the stuff that came along with that. And I had also mentioned that uh, I had uh, recently acquired a full audio set of the complete Get Back uh, recording sessions from January 1969. Um, and it was 83 CDs 
It was 97 and a half hours of audio. And I had gotten that um, from somewhere on the internets. I won't say where. Um, and I got it and I put it on my shelf and I was like, oh, oh dear God, what am I going to do with all of this stuff? It's 97 and a half hours. So, you know, that's not, ex you don't exactly have that amount of time just sitting around, you know, able to play with. So in fact, somebody had, somebody had asked me after I had made the post that I had acquired this set, they said, what on earth are you going to do with 83 CDs and 97 and a half hours of audio? And they said rather innocently, I'm like, well, I'm going to listen to it. You know, not really understanding the time commitment that 97 and a half hours is. Um, but this trip in January posed an excellent opportunity to do just that. I spent the entire January trip in 2023 listening to the Beatles sessions from January 1969 on those, you know, masses of Nagra reel bootlegs that I have. It was 97 and a half hours, as I said. And when I picked up the rental car in Nashville, I started listening. And, you know, I started day one, day two, day three. It was about, they recorded audio about 20 days, 20 days worth of audio. And I made it work over the course of about 16 days when I was on the road so that when I was returning to Nashville and returning back to the airport the very last thing I was listening to was the rooftop concert audio so it it, it took up the entire 16 days listening to six or seven hours of it a day and it got really difficult towards the end because as they as a group were trying to figure out how they were going to finish this project, they had to, um, they just had to dive much deeper into the songs than they had ever done before. And so it, it got a little bit more tedious with the rehearsals and the arranging and all that stuff. Um, but it, it was so revealing to listen to these guys work candidly in the studio, you know, how they communicated with each other how they worked with each other professionally and musically. It was just so uh, revealing and such an amazing musical journey to go on with these guys. Um, and it was, in a, and so this journey that they were on was kind of paralleling this travel journey that I was on. Um, and it was so interesting to start out on day one with a blank slate and end up 16 days later with a finished album, basically, on their end, and a finished uh, set of about 100 hours of videotape on my camera um, at the end of my 16 days. Um, so it's really, it was really an, an awesome experience uh, to go through this trip with those guys. You know, I had said in the last part that there were plenty of parts in the trip that were pretty boring to drive, Plenty of stretches of highway, especially in Oklahoma and Texas, especially. But it makes it a lot easier to get through when you've got some really compelling audio um, to listen to along the way. And uh, they certainly made it a lot easier than it otherwise would have been. So that was pretty cool to be able to do that. Now I can say that I've listened to every bit of audio that's around from that month of January 1969, which not many people can say that they've accomplished. That's amazing. 
It's pretty neat, yeah. And, and maybe we'll save this for another show. But there are a lot of really interesting moments in, over the course of that month's worth of audio that, that really that really should be heard by more people, and hopefully someday they will be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that was my musical journey in the month of January. In the month of February, it wasn't nearly as exciting because I had just gotten through listening to all of that, and I was like, well, I don't really want to go back and listen to it again. So... I'll figure out, I'll cobble together something else to listen to. And we will talk about a, a favorite radio station of mine um, when we talk about Louisiana again. Um, but yeah, so this next trip, which started on the 7th, I overnighted in Delaware. I visited my, uh, my aunt who lives in Wilmington. And then the next day made it down to Maryland. Um, Yay! And did some work, some video and photography work for... Um, Harford County, their 250th anniversary celebration, which is coming up in the spring. Uh, a certain someone is going to be uh, helping me out with a show and, a, and an actual road meet on that very subject yes. coming up in the spring. I would like to actually have you back on at some point in the coming weeks to talk about that. I would um, love to. Yeah, because I, I think that would be really good just to kind of give our audience an idea of what what you do professionally anyway, but also, you know, what you're working on with this Hartford 250 stuff, which a lot of it's really interesting. So. Well, thank you. Yeah. So we'll have to have you back on for that. Um, yeah. So I was doing some video work for us routes one and 40. Cause those are two sections of the Hartford County road network that are going to feature prominently in this, uh, and the shows that we've got coming up in the spring. So I did that. That was the big catch of the day. And then the next day, flew out of BWI. To oh, Houston. but before you talk about that. Yes. Remember how I made a All My Exes Live in Texas reference? And I said, stay tuned for what that means. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so what's really awesome is that Dan came and crashed at our place and i took him to bwi super early in the morning um to catch his flight but, but the evening prior after you know he did all the taping it was like yay let's go and grab some dinner oh but hey i want to take you to my favorite cafe first okay and said favorite cafe in the town of bel-air is called healthy vibes and you know they have smoothies and teas and stuff and i basically had dan walk into a place where i'm a regular where there were a bunch of people <laughs> everybody knew me and i knew them and, <laughs> and it was like hi look this is my friend dan he's on a road trip <laughs> And I, and I was bragging to them about how amazing Roadway Wiz is, how they should, you know, watch the channel and stuff. And it was funny because when I mentioned about, you know, oh, he's flying to Texas tomorrow. That one of the uh, regulars there was like, oh, because all your exes live in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> and for me. I am the kind of person that on road trips loves these sort of little interactions with local folks. And so that was my way of providing a little local town of Bel Air reaction for Dan to take him to my local, you know, tea 
and smoothie place. <laughs> I brag about him and the channel. Well, didn't uh, didn't that song get played on the radio at the restaurant we went to later? Also, yes, which is what makes it even more fantastic. Yeah. So. So yeah. So afterwards. I, you know, when we went to finally get dinner, Rainy picked for us to go to Mission, to mission Q, which is <laughs> Mission Barbecue, and because Rainy loves their mac and cheese, and for those of you who don't know, um, Mission Barbecue is a barbecue chain that started in Maryland, hooray, like a semi-regional national chain that started here, <laughs> and um, anyway, so... They, um, so yeah, they play a lot of country music on the radio. The whole thing is very, like, military and public servant worker, you know, the themed restaurant. And, but anyway, yeah, so country music, and so it's just very fitting that while we were there, all my exes live in Texas came on. <laughs> very fitting, considering that I would be on a plane to Texas the following morning, but yep. yeah. So that was your little Maryland interaction on the trip, or at least your Maryland interaction on the way out. That's right. Um, yeah, so it was an eventful day in Maryland, as you heard. Um, <laughs> and then I, so then the following morning, early on, I caught a flight from BWI down to Houston. I flew Southwest Airlines for the first time on that trip, which I had never done. Which blows my mind, because, you know, I'm just so used to Southwest being that, you know, BWI is a hub for them. Right, yeah. So I've flown them a lot, and so it's kind of cool to hear your perspective of being like, oh, it's my first time. Yeah, I mean, I had heard about them for a long time, but I had never actually thought to book with them. I'm a Delta Sky Club member, so Ooh. that's my preferred airline. Thank you very much. But Oh, cool. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, I, I don't know. I I thought it wasn't much different from any other flight that I've been on. So, yeah, whatever. That's good. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> that is a good thing. Yeah. Right, considering the uh, flight home you had. Well, yeah, time. this was this was the first time I was getting on a plane since that trip. Yeah, um, so, you, so you did a pretty uneventful trip. I was in need of a very uneventful trip. Yeah. But that's exactly what I got, so I was very pleased with it. Yay. Um, yeah, so I flew into Houston, and I wanted to spend a couple of days kind of expanding the the content of the channel around the metro, because a few things in the Houston area had changed since I was last there five years prior. Um, just to give you an example, um, the Grand Parkway, Highway 99, has been extended east of uh in the northeast quadrant of the metro it now wraps completely around to um i-10 in the east and now it's continuous all the way down to baytown um so they have pretty much everything finished to this point that they're planning on building anytime soon there are more segments south of i-69 and in the south of the metro that they'd like to build but this newest piece opened, I believe, last fall. So it's only been open a few months at most. Um, so that's that's completed. They built most of it as a Super 2, which I was surprised by. I was surprised to see that. Um, and there's certainly enough traffic where you could argue that it should already be four lanes. But 
Um, there's at least that piece of the puzzle now in place in the north of Houston Metro. Um, another thing that's been going on, this is kind of an ongoing saga, is the, uh, the replacement of the Houston Ship Channel Bridge on the Sam Houston Tollway, east of, east of downtown. Um, that project was just starting to get going in 2018 when I was, when I was last in town. Uh, long story short, I won't, you know, bore you with all the details, but there was a serious design flaw discovered in the main span design. So, and it was actually so bad that they, that the ruling came down that they had to demolish what they had already partially built and start over again. Um, so they are kind of, I think that they have gotten through the demo part of that process and they're now finally starting to build the revised design. At the same time, the approaches that had been built for the original design are still standing, and I call them the Great Bridge Stubs of Harris County, Texas, <clears throat> because as you're driving the existing bridge, there's these towering new structures off to the side, and they just kind of dead end in, in the air, like 200 feet on 200 feet up. Um, so they're waiting for this new main span to be built, which I guess they're finally getting started on, but it's not going to be done for at least another couple of years. Um, so that's a saga that won't come to an end anytime soon. Um, a few miles of I-69 have been added in the last few years in the southwest of the metro, so I wanted to get that covered. And also revisit some stuff in downtown Houston. I wanted to redocument the 610 loop, uh, the Sam Houston Tollway loop, um, and a few other things here and there. I was not aiming to redocument the entire metro because most of the stuff I have is still in pretty current shape. Um, now Houston's an interesting city to drive around, so I wanted to add some uh, updated content for that area. So that took a couple of days. It actually took a couple of days at the start of the trip and at the end of the trip because I ended back in Houston so I could fly back to Maryland. Um, so that was one thing that I got out of the way. Um, and then from there, I clinched I-45 by heading north towards Dallas. Um, so that's another full-length interstate that I completed. Another one of those that I completed was I-30 uh, between Dallas and Little Rock. Um, I ended up one day in uh, Texarkana, which is a city that straddles the border between Texas and Arkansas. And uh, you can go into the center of the city, and there's a marker with the state line painted on the sidewalk, and there's like a historic marker and all that. So you can you can stand with half your body in one state and half in the other, if you'd like. Ooh. Yep. Um, so yeah, covered covered that area of Texarkana. That's also where I-49 ends at its northern end, or at least where it disappears for a couple hundred miles. Because they haven't figured out how they're going to build the section between Texarkana and Fort Smith. That's about a 200-mile gap. Wow. Um, and it goes to the, yeah, and it would parallel roughly US-71 through the Ozarks, and that would be a very challenging uh, engineering undertaking, as they say. Yeah. So... Uh, we'll see if they ever get around to doing that. But that's currently where I-49, that sec the southernmost section of I-49 ends. Um, revisited Little Rock for about a day or so. 
Uh, I wanted to update some coverage in downtown Little Rock because of the ongoing construction with the I-30 uh, crossing over the Arkansas River and also the associated uh, downtown street improvements um, that are being made. So that's another that's another big project. I believe that is the single largest project, like contract wise, in the history of Arkansas DOT. So that's a pretty that's a pretty hefty project. I think it's been it's been going on for a couple of years already. It's probably got another two years ahead of it. So they've got some of the they've got part of the new bridge open. And they've got two-way traffic on the new bridge while they demolish the old bridge and get ready to build the other half of the new span. Um, and then also there's so there's that project. And there's also other work that's recently wrapped up. There is a uh, improvement project recently completed on the I-430 bridge uh, west of town. So that is um, that was wrapped up. So I got to see what that looked like post-construction. Oh, hello, kitty cat. <laughs> Yep, Angry Kitty is back. <laughs> um, so yeah, little little things like that in Little Rock I wanted to make sure that I was able to cover. Um, and then made my way back to Texarkana and then south on I-49 to Shreveport where I ended up another day. Shreveport's kind of an interesting city. Um, it is... It's kind of the city in Louisiana that everybody forgets about because everybody talks about the cities along I-10. So New Orleans, Baton Rouge, uh, Lake Charles. You know, maybe you hear about Alexandria a little bit, but Shreveport's kind of out of the way of all that stuff. So it doesn't get talked about as much as it probably should. Um, But Shreveport's got a lot of interesting history. If you're into old road signs, I will tell you that Shreveport is still a place that's worth visiting. Ooh. Yep. Um, I love old road signs. Yep. Especially if you head downtown. There's a lot of old state highway shields. The the old Louisiana highway shield was green on white, but now they've switched to black and white. But you can still see a lot of what I call greenies hanging around. Ooh. Yeah. This is Shreveport. In certain areas of the state, there's more so than others. Like Shreveport's one area where you'll find a lot of that. Um, so for people who like old signs, there's that stuff. Old freeways, you know, old antiquated freeways and interchange designs. There's plenty of that in Shreveport too. Um, yeah, I twenty, I twenty hasn't really changed any since the early '60s when they built it. Um, which for someone like me who appreciates old dangerous freeways, that's awesome. yes keep it up there's also a beautiful trust bridge in downtown i believe it is it carries texas street across the red river and it's also known as the long allen bridge um it's one of several bridges in louisiana that's named for um huey long and oscar allen who were two governors of louisiana in the 1930s um there, there. I don't remember exactly how many there are. There are at least five around the state that are that either have Huey Long's name and or Oscar Allen's name on them. They really, they really like naming their bridges after these two guys for some reason. And there's two bridges on the Mississippi River that are named the Huey Long Bridge, 
So you have to differentiate between the two. If you're talking about the one in Baton Rouge or you're talking about the one in Jefferson Parish near New Orleans. Wow. Um, yeah. So um, there's a little bit of a, a history lesson on that. So from Shreveport, I headed south on I-49 to make sure I got all of that interstate done. And then I headed east on I-10. Um so I wanted to revisit parts of I-10, like the the bridge, the 19-mile bridge along the Atchafalaya Basin. I wanted to get that recovered. And then Baton Rouge freeways again. If you like old freeways, you'll really like a lot of the, a lot of the urban freeways in Louisiana. Um, I-110 in Baton Rouge is very old, very antiquated design, which makes it a lot of fun to drive. Um... Baton Rouge is an interesting city. Of course, it's the state capital. Um, and continuing east from there, um, this is where I started again to pick up where I left off with my drone photo album of the bridges of the Mississippi River. Um, I ended up spending parts of four different days on this trip working on all the bridges from New Orleans up to Memphis. And... I have to say it was a it was a great it was great fun to do. It, it was kind of it was a bit uh, random at times. It was a bit fast paced because these bridges are so spread out. You know, sometimes it can be about an hour to get between the bridge you were just at and the next bridge. So you spend a lot of the time driving just to get to the next bridge. Um, but. Um, yeah, I thought it was a really interesting experience. Some of these bridges I hadn't been to before. I had been to a lot of them, um, but I'd only really appreciated them from ground level. But it was it was a really it was a really fun thing to do, and it was something that I had I had wanted to do for a while. It was kind of on my bucket list of things to cover, you know, just to get all the bridges of the lower river finished. And, you know, with all the drone pictures done and all that. So I'm very happy that I was able to get that accomplished. Um, I did take a little bit of a detour um, to get between Baton Rouge and Natchez going north. Because uh, I worked my way north up the river. Um, leaving Baton Rouge after crossing um, at the Audubon Bridge north of Baton Rouge, I followed Highway 1 north from there up to Morganza where there's the spillway structure and then just north of that if you pick up Highway 15 and follow that up towards Natchez you can pick up the uh, the Old River Locks structure and then the Old River Control structure uh, up at where the Mississippi River meets the Red River and the Atchafalaya River where they all come to where they all sort of converge there south of Natchez um we were talking last time about engineering and flood control and, you know, all that stuff that allows southern Louisiana to exist the way that it does today. Um, this is another really interesting place on the lower Mississippi where you can see all the work that's been done over the course of a hundred years to try to control the Mississippi River's uh, waters so that we have... We actually have a pretty habitable habitable area in southern Louisiana today. So, yeah, it's amazing to see, like when you look at a map, all the different lakes. 
that are, you know, because obviously the Mississippi used to be a lot windier. And then, you know, with a lot of this engineering, they've, you know, they've straightened out or made not completely straightened, but they've made some parts of the river a little straighter. So it's left a lot of lakes, which is very interesting. Yeah, the, the Mississippi has changed course hundreds of times. Um, and that's resulted in those little lakes that you that you're alluding to. Um, but over the course of the last couple hundred years... Uh, we've been successful at really penning in the river into a specific channel uh, down in Louisiana, and so that it doesn't have the opportunity to jump somewhere else. Because um, apparently the Mississippi used to, like, really move. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, it if you look at, if you look at like, the, the water control and all that stuff... Uh, the Mississippi has been tending to want to change course further west for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, that's why the old river control structure exists uh, south of Natchez is because for a long time it's been assumed that the Mississippi wants to overtake the Atchafalaya yeah. and go down that way. Because um, yeah. ultimately water will want to follow the path, the shortest path, right? Yeah. So the Atchafalaya is a much shorter distance to the Gulf of Mexico than the current path that it takes. Um, in fact, the, in the flood of 1973, the old river control structure nearly failed. And had that happened, uh, the Mississippi would have changed course that day. Um, so in the event of a river changing course like that, everything from Baton Rouge out to New Orleans and Point South would have been left dry. Yeah, uh, which would have been pretty much an economic game over for Southern Louisiana. Right. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, it's really it's really interesting. I mean, we don't have three hours to talk about you know flood <laughs> right. control in Louisiana, but you know if you if you're interested in that kind of thing, that there's there's a lot of stuff that you could talk about, just related to you know water movement and engineering and stuff like that in, in coastal Louisiana. So yeah, it was interesting when I was heading up river to see all the the dams and the spillways and the levees and all that that are you know, built into the Mississippi River floodplain to sort of try to keep the river in the channel that it's in, especially the further south that you get. <laughs> and you know, to visit bridges that I hadn't been to before, like the the bridge at Natchez, um, you know, which is a nice twin span truss bridge, the two bridges at Vicksburg. Um, which are two big monsters. Uh, individually, they would be huge bridges in their own right, but there's two of them more or less parallel to each other. One of them is a railroad bridge, the other carries I-20. And then the longest cable state bridge on the Mississippi River is at Greenville, uh, about an hour north of there. And then north of there is another large truss bridge at Helena, Arkansas. And then... Another hour north of there, you have Greater Memphis, um, where you've got a trio of bridges uh, right next to each other. There's two railroad bridges, the Frisco and the Harahan, and then you have the Memphis and Arkansas Bridge, which carries I-55 and a slew of U.S. highways. Um, And then the other bridge that's been in the news recently in Memphis is the I-40 Bridge, which 
was closed the last time I was in Memphis in 2021. That was because of a a support girder that had fractured, and um, so the entire bridge had been closed while engineers were performing the repair on that. So that made for interesting travel around the Memphis area two years ago, but fortunately uh, I didn't have such issues this time around, so that was good. Yeah. We should, uh, I guess, since we're in Memphis, we should mention the National Civil Rights Museum. Yes. Yeah, so I spent a few hours there one day, and that was a really moving experience. Um, it's located at the Lorraine Motel in the city of Memphis, uh, which is where Martin Luther King was assassinated. And um, so the hotel kind of forms the the main part of the the museum if you will um it was just such a moving place to visit and you know to see all the exhibits and um you know they they talk about events that you read about in books or you read about on the internet but when you're when you're reading about it at a museum and you're faced with the um not just the text of it but also the artifacts from those events um, it really hits home a lot more, and so I I thought it was a really thought it was a really powerful experience. Yeah, I would love to go there. I I really I really think you should. Yep. Yes. Another thing to add to the list of when Rainy, who you know her full name is Lorraine. Gets a bit older. Yeah. Which I do not name her for the Lorraine Hotel. That's purely a coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it's it's really such an incredible place. And um, like I said, if you find yourself in Memphis and you have a few hours and you're looking for something to do, I would really recommend checking that place out. Another place I would recommend you visit that I didn't get to visit was the Memphis Pyramid. The Pyramid! I really want to go to the Pyramid. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it was built originally as a sports arena. And it's now a giant brass pro shop. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, because I think they built it. They, they were trying to attract um, NBA and NHL franchises. So they were like, well, let's build something that's really unique and different from anything else in the country. And so they built a pyramid that's, you know, that was supposed to serve as an arena. Um, they had some events at the, the arena for the first few years it opened, but it never really panned out as yeah. a long-term uh, venue for sports. So then Bass Pro Shops got involved and they so they so now they're the primary tenant there. But I think there's also like a restaurant and there's a there's an observation deck at the top. Is there really? Uh, oh, I, that would be yeah. really cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't get to do it, but I know that that stuff is there. So Memphis Pyramid is another place that I that I still have to get to. Yes. Yep. Yeah, so the, after my 
Well, my journey up the Mississippi was part of that, of this February trip. And uh, I spent a few more days in southern Louisiana because I didn't have enough. Uh, I didn't get enough out of my last visit to Louisiana just a couple weeks prior. So I thought, you know, I'll go back to New Orleans for a few days. That's okay. Yay, New Orleans! <laughs> yep. So I kind of wanted to pick up where I left off, because like on my last trip, I started to kind of go back through and revisit the freeways and um, start on the drone stuff for the city, like the bridges and the you know, like the cityscape stuff and landmarks and all that other stuff. So I, I picked up where I left off there. Um, I pretty much got done with everything I wanted to. That was it was about four or five days worth of uh work that I spent, you know, down in that area. I also got to revisit some of my favorite drives in Louisiana. For instance, Highway One, uh south of US ninety, that takes you out to Grand Isle. That's a very it's a very interesting drive. There's not much at Grand Isle that's left after the most recent round of hurricanes that have come through the last couple of years mm. but they are there are they are some people are rebuilding but you can tell that a lot of homes are still they haven't been touched you know i i assume because of insurance uh stuff yeah um so grand isle is still they're still hanging on another place that's hanging on is uh venice louisiana at the mouth of the mississippi um, and you can get there by following Highway 23 south out of uh, Gretna. And so I redid that drive, which is another interesting trip, you know, because people down that way refer to Venice as the end of the world because it's right at the mouth of the Mississippi. It's the end of civilization, more or less. Um, it's the southern... Venice is the southernmost permanently inhabited community on the Mississippi. Uh, there used to be another one that was a few miles south of there, right at the head of Pass's lighthouse, uh, called Pilot Town. And that's where, you know, like all the Mississippi River pilots lived. It was like, oh. it was like a, it was a, it was a self-sustaining community, but it was only accessible by boat or by helicopter. Um, and it was a few miles downstream from Venice, so typically you would take a boat from Venice to get there. Wow. But, um, but Hurricane Katrina basically wiped out Pilot Town. Um, and so it's not a... I think there are a few buildings still there, but it's not, it's not, a, it's not a independent community like it used to be. I think it, at one time it had its own post office zip code, but I don't think that's the case anymore. Oh, wow. Yep. So if you drive to the southern end of Highway 23, you'll see the famous, you know, southernmost point in Louisiana sign, which is actually a lie. That's not true. Uh, the southernmost point on the state highway system is actually near Grand Isle. Um, actually, in, in Port Fouchon. But uh, that's okay. We'll, we'll, you know, we won't hold that against those folks too much. What if I want to hold it against them? <laughs> I, you know, you you do you, man. That's okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
So let's talk about some other stuff in New Orleans. Um, yes. I want to hear about all of your favorite places. Um, well, let's start with the newest landmark that wasn't there five years ago, and that is the old World Trade Center building at the foot of Canal Street, which had been closed and abandoned for a few years, has been reopened as a hotel. I, I think it's called the Four Seasons now. Um but the uppermost part of it has been opened up as an observatory and uh, it's, it's got exhibits and all that stuff. It's called View Orleans, cleverly Ooh. enough. Yeah. So you can go in there and it's, it's, it's neat. It, you have the observatory at the top, but there's also exhibits that kind of go into the history of the city from like indigenous people to early colonization to... You know, how the city developed culturally and how it expanded thanks to technology and engineering and stuff like that. So there's a lot of interesting stuff contained in it. It's not just, you know, your run-of-the-mill observatory. Um, so that it's pretty cool. I was impressed. I, I thought it was going to be kind of so-so, but I was I left being very impressed with what they put together there. Yay! Yep. So that was my favorite new place. Um, I did get to visit with Jason and Carrie, who run the 504 Road Trips YouTube channel. And so that was that was fun to see them. I hadn't seen them in New Orleans in five years. So it was good to catch up with them. We finally decided, by the way, on what we were going to do with that coastal Alabama footage that we shot over a year ago. So now we've we've finally got that published and it's up online. I'm happy to report. Hooray! Yeah, yeah. It only took 13 months. That's okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, some of my other favorite places. Um. Well, my favorite. I mean, there's there's a lot of really awesome freeway drives in the area because so much of their freeway system is built on elevated structures. You have great views of the city from just about everywhere. Um, and so it's it's really, they're really fun roads to drive. Um, probably my favorite of them all would be the West Bank Expressway, which is U.S. Highway 90 business on the West Bank of the river. And at the Harvey Canal, there's a high-level bridge that you get a great view of the downtown from, and you get the view of the Crescent City Connection. Um, and then there's also in New Orleans East, there's the high rise bridge, which is another old, oldie, but goodie. I'll say it was built in 1965. And you know what, that, you know, that they like to say that, you know, it was modern for 1960s engineering. Well, that's great. Well, it doesn't work too well for 2022 or 2023, but they built these freeways and they've really not changed all that much in the last 50 or 60 years so but um like i said if you like old freeways louisiana is a state for you because there's plenty of that to go around um i'm looking forward to when we do an episode on all the freeways yeah well there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that we could do um i think that there were about 15 different live shows that were created just based on these six weeks that I was on the road. 
This is amazing. Yeah, so there's about, I mean, that's about a season's worth of material right there. I mean, we only did 10 shows before we had to stop in early February. So, I mean, 15, that's that, that's enough to keep people busy for a while. Oh, yeah. Um, so. Um, oh, I, I want you to talk about your favorite restaurant in New Orleans. Favorite. Or just outside of New Orleans. Uh, hmm. Well, we went, Jason and I went to a place called Zydeco's, which is on Belchase Highway. And I guess it would be Gretna where this is. And we had a really good seafood pasta that night. Ooh. You can't beat, like, a seafood pasta with shrimp and crawfish. Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's hard to beat. And then there was another place that we went to in the city of Marrero, which is another West Bank community. And I had a seafood platter from there that was excellent. Yum. I mean, you really can't go wrong with the food around here. Like, that's that's the thing. Like, it's hard to find a place where the food is lousy. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Oh, my, oh my gosh. So, like... I visited New Orleans in 2018, and I just want to throw out a couple of my favorite food recommendations, um, especially since... Huh? Please do. Oh, I definitely will. So, as a lot of you know, I can't eat gluten, and so that seemingly limits a lot of the places where I can go, except that I found two amazing gluten-free restaurants. (laughs) <laughs> and what I did was basically just alternate back and forth between them, ordering different dishes. It was fantastic. So I got to eat all the yummy fried seafood. Um, the two places, my favorite of the two is Casamento's restaurant. And I also really like Dini's restaurant, which is, you know, much closer to the French Quarter and downtown. So Dini's is a lot more conveniently located, but I absolutely love Casamento's. And would just constantly head over there. And what was kind of cool is that both of these places just sort of ended up being gluten-free by accident. It's just that their traditional recipe was focused on, you know, frying in corn bread and not in wheat. So that worked out beautiful for me. (laughs) Um, Another recommendation is there is a candy shop called Laura's Candies. (laughs) I wonder why that's one of my favorite places, right? I wonder. Yeah, but they have an ama- They also have a really amazing Creole spice mix that they sell, in addition to yummy candies. Um, I realize you're talking about food. I just want to throw out a couple of other of my favorite recommendations, just in general. <laughs> <laughs> the Garden District Bookshop is really great, especially if you're looking for a lot of local um, books <clears throat> on New Orleans. I got a really cool map book there. Um, and because I am a huge, you know, Airbnb and a hostel and, you know, staying with other people kind of girl, um, my my Airbnb recommendation was this amazing couple that lived in the Gentilly neighborhood. Um, the wife is a um, UU minister and the husband is a professional musician, and I actually got to watch him play his trumpet at BB King's, which was really cool. Um, but yeah, so I I absolutely 
100% understand why you love New Orleans so much, Dan, because I love it too. And also, you know, cannot wait to get back there after five years. Yeah, the New Orleans is one of those places where it's hard to have a bad meal because <clears throat> there's just so many great options. And that's one of the reasons why the city is on my short list. You know, aside from the engineering and the roads and all that, uh, the food is pretty damn good. <gasps> so yummy. I, I mentioned the one place in Marrero that I went to. That place is called Schnell's. Um, it's right off the West Bank Expressway in Marrero. So I, I, I already mentioned Zydeco's, which is down by, it's down by the Intercoastal Waterway on Belchase Highway, and those are both West Bank uh, area places that I really liked. The other place I want to plug is in Algiers Point. Uh, it's a small cafe called Tout de Suite. Mm-hmm. Um, single best breakfast I've probably ever had anywhere came from there. Um, it was it's a it's a dish they call the achafalaya, which is um, a bed of grits, a crawfish etouffee, and poached eggs. Yum! Which is phenomenal. Wow! Yeah, it, it's epic. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah, actually, what I did that day was I I stopped there for breakfast, and then I took the ferry from Algiers over to downtown um the ferry drops you off at the foot of canal street and then you can you know you can have you can pick up the streetcar there if you want to go up canal or down st charles um so that's an itinerary that i recommend people do if they've never been there one of the quintessential new orleans experiences is riding the ferry across the mississippi and then picking up the streetcar either on canal or on the st charles route um, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. To both the ferry and the streetcars. You've done both of those, haven't you? I have. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's such a, it's an awesome, unique experience that I really enjoy. Yes. I know we like to talk about roads, but I also have a soft spot for transit in some, in some cases. Yes, so. transit! <laughs> and New Orleans is one of the first big cities in America that introduced the streetcar concept, I think. So it's kind of become synonymous with them culturally also. Wait. Yeah. Well, speaking of transit, if you want to, if you want to do transit by, you know, car slash high occupancy vehicle, uh, you should experience the Crescent City Connection HOV lanes at some point too. Ooh. Yeah. So, cause when I was there in 2018, I did not have car. Oh, okay. So I would definitely like to go back and either, you know, drive there from Maryland or, you know, rent a car after flying there. Yeah, you really should experience some of these roads and bridges from behind the wheel, too. Yeah. Yeah, they're really neat. The HOV on the CCC is really interesting. It's a reversible highway, so you kind of have to catch it at the right hour depending on which direction you want to go. But um, if you're on the flyover that kind of runs above the Pontchartrain Expressway through downtown, you've got a great unobstructed view all around you of the downtown and then the Garden District and the uptown area. And then the Superdome is right there. It's a great view, great vantage point. Yeah, it's fantastic. I've done it a couple of times. Um, 
I think the statutes of limitations don't apply here, so I can say that I was a single occupant driver both occasions, and I never got ticketed. Ooh. So, I don't know, they don't, I don't know, I guess I lucked out both times, so. Yeah, sorry guys if you're listening, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they did, they apparently aren't doing enforcement when I'm in town. But anyway, yeah, but I would do it again with another passenger in the car just to kind of show and show it to them because it's a really neat it's a really neat uh experience anyway so you know you've got that and then the other freeways you know my my single favorite freeway in new orleans is west bank expressway Mm. which is the elevated highway that runs it was originally built in the 50s as a ground level divided highway and then it was upgraded in the 70s and 80s mainly into the elevated highway that it is today and there at the and there you have some really nice views of downtown across the river um and of course that feeds directly into the ccc at its east end um you probably would like studying the history of 610 which is the northern bypass um they bought up a lot of land in city park to plow that highway through right before new environmental regulations took effect so yep. there was a little bit of sneaky political stuff going on there. Yeah, um, and then of course the destruction of Claiborne. Claiborne along I ten, yep. Um, that was right around the same time, actually, as the city park thing was going down. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and they're still kind of talking about what they want to do with that. I think the most recent plan that I saw was that DOTD was looking into removing some of the interchange ramps because a lot of those interchanges take up a lot of space so they're thinking about eliminating at least a couple of them yeah to kind of open up more space for development but they're they're intending to keep the highway there at least at least that's where we stand right now oh okay yeah but yeah and then you know so the 10 the but i mean the elevated highway along claiborne gives you some nice views of downtown also right um so there's that, and then there's, you know, if you want to go out into the suburbs, quote-unquote, there's the 310, which takes you across the Mississippi River. The The bridge on 310 over the Mississippi is probably my single favorite bridge on the whole Mississippi River. Wow. Because it's, a, it's one of those really wild, primitive cable state bridges that, that's got a really futuristic look to it. Um, and there aren't many bridges that look like that anywhere, let alone in the United States. So. Wow. It's a really neat looking bridge. It's kind of funky looking when you see it. Because they don't build bridges that look like that. I mean, they, they really, they hardly ever did back in the 70s and 80s, let alone right. today. So there's that. And then if you're looking to clinch auxiliary routes, you would have to clinch I-510, which is out in New Orleans East. That's That one's pretty short, though. That's, a, that's only a couple of miles or so. <laughs> But both of those highways, those were the two ends of the proposed I-410 bypass. I don't know how much you're familiar with that idea. I'm not super familiar. Yeah. So that was an outer that was supposed to be an outer bypass of that would have run along the southern fringe of New Orleans Metro. So like where 310 currently ends at US 90, it would have basically almost done a 180 and doubled back east kind of paralleling us 90 and then for those of you who have a map it would have kind of run parallel to what's now lapalco boulevard uh the industrial not the industrial the intercoastal waterway 
And then that would have led to a bridge over the Mississippi River to get you over into Chalmette and St. Bernard Parish. And then it would have paralleled Highway 47 to the bridge over the, um, Miss, what's the hell is it called? Mississippi River Gulf Outlet. Hmm. That's where, uh, that's where it crosses there. And then that's where 510 begins at the north end of the bridge. They call that bridge locally the Green Bridge. Um, <laughs> But it's also known as the Paris Road Bridge. But at the north end of that is where the interstate designation begins. So that whole stretch that I just described was proposed for the outer loop of New Orleans. And just the 310 and the 510 pieces are the only pieces that ever got built. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's, that's, that's one of the more substantial unbuilt uh, freeways of New Orleans. And then, of course, if you want to get into even more stuff there's the 1946 master plan that was commissioned by robert moses or it was commissioned by the city of new orleans and robert moses wrote it um and that's where the idea of the elevated expressway through the french quarter was born oh yep yeah that was his idea yeah that doesn't uh, surprise (laughs) yeah so fortunately that's one that never saw the light of day either but had they built it according to the original master plan there would have been like this really wacky spiral interchange um right where the uh what was then called the greater new orleans bridge uh came in with the pontchartrain expressway and this riverfront expressway it would have would have been this like it looks like one of those spiral slides at the amusement park. It would have <laughs> been that with roadways. It was. It, it was really. There's a. There's a rendering of it that I that I found recently. Um, that that was printed as part of the 1946 master plan, and it's it's really neat. I might have to share it on Gribble Nation at some point. But, Definitely. Um, yeah, it's really wild how these planters were thinking about things, you know, years before they became a reality. I mean, the Greater New Orleans Bridge was built only about 10 years after the master plan. But, you know, a lot of what they were thinking about in the 40s did come to pass in the 60s and the 70s. It it, it takes a lot of forward thinking sometimes when you're a planner. I know you know that. I do know that. <laughs> you have a little experience with that. Just a little. Yeah. But one one last thing I want to bring up is, um, in, on the subject of planning, uh, New Orleans East, which, um, specifically the Jazzland area, which is in the news again recently because that's the amusement park that was abandoned after Hurricane Katrina. The whole area was basically under eight feet of water after the yep. levees broke, and then they never did anything with the property it's been sitting there abandoned ever since for the last 17 18 years well apparently it's in the news again because now there's talk of a new development that's been approved by the city council and i don't remember all the exact details of it but it involves like a new sports arena and a water park and all that all this stuff that i just look at and say there's no way that they could ever find the money to do any of this Right. So I don't know where the hell they're going to get the funds to do this, but, you know, it's one of just a long line of, you know, great ideas that people have had over the years to do something with that property. Yeah. But, you, you know, when you think about it, it's actually at a pretty good location. If you look at it on a map, it's at the junction of Interstate 10 and I-510, which takes you down into St. Bernard Parish. So yeah. 
it, it it's in a pretty good spot. It's just that you know, and it's convenient to get to if you're from if you're coming from coastal Mississippi or Slidell, Louisiana, on the other side of the Twin Spans. Um, so it's not in a bad spot. It's just they just don't know what to do with it, and it's right. it's been it's been mind numbing to watch these people just not know, just not have any idea what the future of the site is. I get it from as a planner, especially when you're in a depopulating or a city that has depopulated, that you have all these ideas, but it competes with a lot of other awesome ideas. And there's only so much funding and investment and to, you know, to fill a lot of these sites. So I I understand how that sort of thing happens, how you could create these plans and then nothing really comes of it. Because, you know, Jazzland is probably not the only site that there's plans like that for. So, yeah, I actually went by Jazzland and I was in New Orleans East when I um, as part of the um, planning um, national planning conference when I went in 2018. Um, we did a tour. We stopped in like a couple different areas. Um, I, I'm very fuzzy on details. You have to forgive me because this is five years ago. But I remember, you know, meeting with different community groups to like see what kind of work is, you know, happening on the ground to, you know, help um, that residents are doing to help their neighborhoods. So, but yeah, I just remember thinking that there was a lot of potential in New Orleans East. And it's just similar to a lot of other depopulating or depopulated cities with the challenges it faces. Yeah, I mean, I think we could spend an entire episode just talking about the history of New Orleans East. I mean, it's, it's fascinating how the idea of it even came to be. And then how it kind of developed, and then the whole development idea fell on its face in the 80s, and then the whole thing just fell apart from there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's really, it's one of the more fascinating chapters in the city's history, as far as I'm concerned, from an engineer slash planner's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the New Orleans side of things. The one last city I want to mention before we sign off is San Antonio, because I did spend a day there on this trip also. Um, And this was a day more devoted to exploring the city off the highway, because when I was there in 2022, I had a couple of days to document all the highways, but I didn't really get the chance to explore like all the touristy tourist trap stuff. So that's what I did on this trip. I, I devoted a day just to exploring, you know, the city from you know as a pedestrian. Um, Yay! City exploring. Yeah, I actually really like San Antonio. It's probably it's either San Antonio or Austin are my favorite cities in Texas. Cool. Yeah. Dallas is just too obnoxious, and Houston is Houston is big, but it's just really dreary, and it's just not as pleasant a city to be in. Mm. But San Antonio is really nice. I um the Riverwalk I highly recommend. Yes, I've to, heard so many good things about the Riverwalk. Yeah, if you're looking to get your steps in, um, that's a good spot. Uh, there's no shortage of great restaurants along the Riverwalk, too. So if you're hungry, you can always find something good. Um, and also, the, all the architecture, like all the bridges, 
that go across the river walk, whether they're just these little pedestrian, little cute little bridges or the steel truss bridges that carry the street grid across. Um, it's funny, like no two bridges over the river walk look the same. Hmm. And there's so many of them. Like there's one at every street block at least. Wow. Uh, but they all look, at least to me anyway, I, I came away from it thinking that every one of them was different in some way. That's so really cool. That's that's interesting. That takes some creativity. Yes, so, it does. Yeah, kudos to them. Um, yes. I visited the Alamo, which no. I know I'm probably going to piss off some people who are listening in Texas when I say this, but I was very underwhelmed by the Alamo, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, I, I understand like the history of the building, and I understand its significance, but... A lot of people, you know, pump it up to be this great, phenomenal thing, and then you walk inside and it's like, oh, this is it. Okay. Not that I'm trying to, like, I'm not trying to disrespect Davy Crockett or whatever, but um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just, I just wasn't as impressed with it as I was expecting to be. I guess that's my point. Hmm. But, I mean, if you're into, like, history, American history... You know, the early history of Texas. Um, yeah, you know, check it out. It, it's, it's, if you're into that kind of stuff, you'll probably get something out of it. And I did too, but it just wasn't this, you know, phenomenal thing that everybody was, you know, piping it up to be. Hmm. You know, one thing I did enjoy, other than the Riverwalk, was the Tower of the Americas. Ooh. Which is, it was built in 1968 for the World's Fair that San Antonio hosted that year. And it's basically, I mean, the the city supposedly got the idea from the Space Needle in Seattle. Huh. Which was built about six years prior for their World's Fair in 1962. Um, and so San Antonio, well, you know how Texans are. Everything's got to be bigger in Texas. So they <laughs> said, well, we want one of those except bigger. <laughs> so that's what they did. They built one that I think I think Tower of the Americas is about 100 feet taller than the Space Needle. Oh, cool. Uh, and it, um, it's, so it's got, the, it's got an observation level that's partially indoor and partially outdoor, which I like. And there's also a restaurant on one of the levels that supposedly rotates 360 degrees every hour. Cool. So that, that, I didn't actually go to the restaurant, but supposedly that's, that's a pretty neat experience too. Yeah. And I also liked, you know, checking out the Alamo Dome, which is one of my favorite stadiums in the entire country. Just because it looks like a giant, it looks like somebody took a cable stay bridge and stuck it onto a stadium. Yes! <laughs> it isn't, it's one of the more wild-looking buildings in America, I think. But it, it, it works, and it looks great. So, maybe, maybe one of these days I'll get back into town and actually go inside the building, because I haven't been inside of it. I've only been able to admire it from the exterior. So yeah, after exploring San Antonio, I headed back to Houston, and then I had, I had oh, another I had another day or so to kind of explore, and then I flew back to Maryland, and then drove back to New York the following day, and that I, was that was the end of it. Wait, I think you skipped something. What so, um, you think I skipped something? Well, so did you go from San from New Orleans straight to San Antonio? 
Uh, well, I kind of ended up there by going back, kind of retracing the steps that I took before. So, like, going back up by 49 through Shreveport and Alexandria and then up to Texarkana and then back west on I-30 to Dallas and then back down I-45 to Houston and then back west on I-10 to San Antonio that way. Okay. So it, was, it. so it was when I was making the trip from Houston to San Antonio that I finished out the last piece of I-10 in Texas that I didn't have. Ooh. Yep. So now I actually have all of 10 between Phoenix and Pensacola, Florida. Cool. Yeah, I'm glad I don't have to do that Texas part again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that, I that's... just... Once I do want to let our viewer or listeners know that Dan was actually could have been in town on Mardi Gras in New Orleans, but since Dan is not a party person, he yeah. left. Yeah, I'm what you call a party pooper. <laughs> yeah, if I was there at that time period, you know, I would have been at all the parades and festivals and getting all the beads. Yeah, you would have been collecting the beads, yeah. Oh, yes. I mean, I was in New Orleans and Louisiana on Lundi Gras, which is the day before, but just not... I mean, I, was, I started the day in Louisiana on the Tuesday, but I ended up, I ended up that day in Oklahoma because I wanted to finish out I-35 between Dallas and Oklahoma City. Mm. So that's what I was doing up there. And yeah. there's also the one turnpike in Oklahoma that I hadn't done yet, and that is the Chickasaw Turnpike, which is down down in the southern part of the state oh so you got that one yep so i did that one so now i have i i think i have all the turnpikes i there's one expressway that has tolls on it that they opened up in the tulsa area a few months ago that mm. wasn't open when i was in town last summer so i still don't have all the toll roads done but i i have all of the official turnpikes done cool so anyway that's that's an update on my clinches in Oklahoma and other places. Yes. And so after Dan flew back to Maryland, he crashed at our place again. Hey, what's said, up, stranger? Hey! <laughs> crashed on Saturday night. I picked you up from the airport. And then in the morning, I dragged you nice and bright and early to go visit my um, U my Unitarian Universalist church that Sunday morning. Yes, you so, did. So, yeah, another fun opportunity to introduce you full to a large room of people. <laughs> yeah, because you know that I handle those situations exceedingly well. Oh, of course. I do appreciate that you're willing to go out of your comfort zone a little bit for me. A little bit. Yeah. yeah you know. We had a delicious breakfast at Double T Diner in Bel Air. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So good. And then I like, you how we're, I like how we're talking a lot about food. Yes. On this episode. <laughs> Can't help it. Love yeah. food. Yep. And then you went and visited your aunt, and then you headed home. Yeah, I visited my aunt, and I finished going through my late uncle's uh, record collection. Uh, and so I've inherited his albums, his uh, LPs. Oh, that's so and, cool. And yeah, so since I've gotten home, I've kind of been going through those and cleaning them up and seeing which ones will still play. And actually, they're not in that bad a shape. 
I'm, oh, good. I'm pleasantly surprised that they all the ones that I've tried to play so far do play. And if you sometimes you got to clean them up two or three times to sort of because there's there's like decades of you know dust and dirt and whatever you know on the discs themselves. But um, no, they still work, and some of the album sleeves are in really good shape still. So oh, yeah, it's. That that's it's quickly becoming one of my side projects at home when I'm not doing road stuff. I'm listening to old vinyl, which is uh, which is very interesting. I really appreciate. I'm coming to appreciate vinyl more and more because I mean that's how our grandparents would have first listened to music. Yeah, I've been our parents. Yeah, and yeah, and, and and them too. Yeah, I mean that's how. That's like so. I have, for instance, all the Beatles albums in vinyl right now, and yeah. I'm listening to those on that medium, and it's it's great. It's like a, it's such an interesting experience to listen to them in that way, because that's that's how the people that we know would have first become acquainted with them. Yes. So it, it's, it's it's very cool. Very cool. Yep. So that was that was trip number two, uh, and that was so that trip was the twenty day trip, and that's how I got to forty days. So cool! And forty days in winter, and that was it. It you know, it went by incredibly fast. Um, I think I drove about twenty thousand miles. There were about two hundred hours of video that I brought back that I'm still going through right now as we record this. We're recording this right now on Pi Day, March 14th. Pi Day! Yeah. So I've been home for two and a half weeks almost, and I'm still going through files and editing files and all that stuff. It's just, I mean, because I did basically like a year's worth of work in six weeks. Yeah. So it's it's been a lot, but it's been... It was so much fun to see so much, so much of the country, uh, see so much new, you know, new territory for me anyway, and yeah. and also to revisit some of my favorite places, like you know, as I mentioned just in this show, you know, getting back to Louisiana, getting back to New Orleans, and then up to Memphis, and then out to San Antonio. You know, these are, these are cities that I enjoy quite a bit anyway. So it was great to revisit some of the old familiar places too as well as seeing some new stuff yes so yeah i would if you ever get the opportunity to take six weeks you know jump at it oh yes you know because those opportunities if you ever get one at all they don't come around very much yes that would that that would be my advice to the the listeners out there indeed well, I think we're going to wrap up shop here, uh, unless you have any closing thoughts that you'd like to add. Did I forget anything? No, I think you finally covered it all. Yeah, finally. It took us long enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I couldn't have done it without you, Laura. Thank you for joining me to help you know make some sense of all of this. You're welcome. And uh, like I said before, I want to have you back on to talk about Harvard 250. Oh, yes. So we'll have to figure that out at some point Perfect. yeah because now that i'm back home and i'm i have the microphone set up again i really want to do some more 
podcasting with other people. Yeah. Um, so we'll see what I can put together in the next few weeks or so. Cool. All righty. All righty. Well, well, thank you very much, uh, Laura. And um, I'll talk to you. I don't know. I'll text you later. I'll talk to you next time. Sounds good. Talk to you then. Talk all right. And to all of you out there, I hope you found this episode and this two-part series useful. I thank you all very much for listening. You've been listening to the Gribble Nation Roadcast. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of Just Passing Through. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Give us a follow over on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Give GribbleNation.org a follow or Gribble Nation on Facebook or social media. You can follow me specifically on Roadway Wiz on YouTube, Facebook. I do have a Twitch channel that I haven't used in a little while. I'm hoping to change that soon. And also, I'm on. I have a Discord server that you can follow me on as well. So there's no shortage of places that you can follow us at. So hope you'll join us if you haven't already. So this is Dan signing off. Hope you enjoyed this uh, two-part discussion. We'll catch you on the podcast again soon. Do you understand bullshit? Settle down just a little bit. Thank you for tuning in to uh, an episode of the Gribble Nation Roadcast. Uh, We hope uh, you get to listen to us again soon. Have a good one.